now. Well, welcome, everybody. Uh, we are continuing our series um, on uh, Better Together is, with the tagline, Is Church a Hobby? Um, there was a time when I first became a Christian that uh, I was in high school and I had this kind of amazing conversion experience um, at, a, at a camp. Uh, I was invited to a camp, and God just rearranged my life. Um, I have one of those one of those stories. And um, it, as I started to grow in my faith, I had a handful of friends that I were, uh, played uh, football and basketball with that were strong Christians, and I started spending time with them. And I realized that the friends I used to spend with that I still loved and kept for a long time. There was a limit of what I could kind of spend with them because of teenage boys. They're just something wrong with them, when, especially back then. So we, my friends and I started eating lunch together um, with, a number of other, uh, with a, n- a number of other students in our youth group and other uh, um, kids at the, at the school. And one day... As me and my friends were eating, I noticed that there was this, I, was, I think as a junior or a senior, there was this one freshman, first year student who would walk by. And he would walk by on a regular basis, enough that I noticed that's like the fifth or sixth time this student walked by. Well, of course, I looked at my friend, my best friend Doug, and I said, I bet your Doritos that he will be back by here at 12.07, which Doug said, no way, he's on a 12.05 pace. So we started betting food every day on when this little guy would walk around, right? Because we were sensitive, caring people, so we started doing this, right? Um, One day I got curious, and I followed him. I go, I got to figure this out. Um, all movie CIA-like, you know, ducking into, you know, in, into doorways, following. And I figured it out. I came back and I reported my findings. I go, he, he just walks circles. He walks circles around, around our campus every day for lunch. Because he's a freshman, but no freshmen want to sit with him. And, um, and I was, honestly, I was probably doing it to find out if I could get any sort of leverage on my betting time with my best friend, Doug, right? Um, and so I came back, and I'm like, hey, he's got no place to sit. I'm like, it's kind of crazy. Well, within a week or so, one of our other good friends, Darren, stood up and did something. Um, Darren walked out as this little guy one time was coming, and Darren, without saying anything, stood up, walked out, and stood in front of him. Now, Darren was arguably uh, one of the strongest Christians I had known and ever seen, uh, ever met when I first came to school. He was also probably the strongest guy at our high school. All-county football player, blah, blah, blah. Every thing that every 80s movie showed, that was Darren, right? And Darren stood out in front of him. And my friend Doug looked at him and said, looked at me and said, Darren's going to kill him. I said, I said, looked at him and said, no, I think Darren's going to eat him. <laughs> right? And 
I'll never forget the look on this young, young boy's face as he looked up and he sees, like, I don't have any place to sit. Now the biggest guy in the school is standing in front of me. And Darren looked at him and said, hi, my name's Darren. He said, I don't know if you have a place to eat, but me and my friends, we eat over here. And then he said, I don't know if you have any, um, who your friends are, but my name's Darren. I'll be your friend. And this little guy's name was Kenny, and Kenny would come and eat with us every day. And Kenny was absolutely socially awkward, but he was a really kind young man, I remember, talking with him. And it hit me when Darren did that. It was one of those, like, my friends, we looked at each other like, why didn't we think of this? Why, why didn't we think to go out? Darren didn't say anything. He just went and did it. And so it was one of those aha moments for me. This is what we're supposed to, this, this is what a great opportunity this is. Well, I didn't know at that time that that caused this other domino to fall. Months later, I'm walking through school on a break, and I notice that a girl that I know is sitting and crying. So I stop and I ask her, I'm like, what's, well, hey, what's going on? She's like, nothing in my life is working. And she starts pouring her heart out. And she, as she's pouring her heart out, I realize the Holy Spirit goes, she, you need to turn the conversation to me. And I know when God does that. And, it, and so I looked at her and said, do you think that maybe God is trying to talk with you within these circumstances? And her eyes light up. She goes, yes, I've been thinking this. Like ever, all my friends, these things happen, but to me, nothing happens. I feel like God is trying to tell me something. And as we talk, she goes, she, sa- she, she, says, she said to me, you know, Eric, everybody knows you guys are different. And I went, what? What do you mean different? You know, at first it took it out. He goes, no, no, no. Everybody knows that you and Doug and Darren and you guys look at the people that you spend time with. And it never occurred to me that other people were watching. And as I tell the story, you could tell not a lot occurred to me when I was 17 years old. And I realized that my friend Darren's sensitivity to God to take care of people had a message that I didn't know went throughout our high school that other people saw and they took note. And sure enough, within the next few weeks, Debbie said, could I come to your youth group? Could I come to to your church? And after church, uh, after youth group, one Wednesday night, we went out and talked and she accepted Christ. And I remember putting those things together. It was like the best Bible study that my friends modeled for me as a new believer. This is part of the picture that we see in Acts. Let me read our passage that we're in. Acts 2, 42 through 47 says this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. 
All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying favor with all people. And the Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. And as we are in this series of, of Better Together, the church, is church a hobby? We kind of had this, um, this picture, and this is a, a, a great, I, I love, I love like, uh, word pictures and metaphors, and Pastor Calvin is, is, is kind of shaped this one, that every week, um, what part of a house does the church represent? And this morning, we want to talk about the, the, the front door, if you would, of the house. That um, when it comes to when it uh, when it when it comes to people coming to faith, what does that look like? Because as the church, um, there's uh, as the church, we have this uh, place of the kitchen where we meet together in fellowship, the table, you know, that God calls us to. We have the place of the closet. We have you know, um, you know, intimate time with God. And different uh, in the last few weeks, we've had different sermons on it. Today, I want to talk about that front door, the important thing. When God is working, people are coming to faith, right? When um, uh, the term that we've used is evangelism, right? Jesus said it this way, the last thing he says to his disciples on earth in Matthew 28, he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, right? Um, The Abrahamic covenant, the first thing, one of the first things we see in Genesis is God looking at Abraham and says, and said that you will be a blessing to all nations. Our posture as Christians is that we want to connect people to God's story, the one who made them. Now, traditionally, um, this happened in the early church at Pentecost, right? Peter stands up. The Holy Spirit comes, Peter stands up and explains to everybody, men and women, what you're seeing here is the, is the God of the universe comes to visit us. Thousands of people come to faith that day. This is unlike anything that's happened before or since. Uh, the Christian faith becomes a world religion overnight. Nothing like that historically has ever happened. And yet, sometimes we, that sort of is our model for evangelism, right? It's a, it's a big event, right? We all, uh, we want to be Peter standing up. Uh, one of my heroes of the faith, D.L. Moody, spoke to a hundred million people about Jesus before the invention of the microphone, TV, or radio. I had friends go to Billy Graham crusades, even people in my own family, and come to faith at the crusade. As a youth pastor, invite people, invite your friends to the event. These are really good things. But many times we think of evangelism as an event. Not a bad thing, 
at all. And it's been very purposeful. It's very purposeful. But we see both this in the, in the early church, a one-time event. But what's described here in Acts 2 is something, something different. You see, event evangelism, we make things really easy to understand. But what we see the church living out is what I would like to call holistic evangelism. It is a life evangelism. The community of the church is rich and vibrant. God is working. He is active. And people around them, within their families, within their friendships, daily start to come to faith. It's not one versus the other. And so this morning, I want to highlight what I believe God calls us to as a church. I think he calls us to this holistic evangelism. And I want to highlight what made holistic evangelism work. Why were people being added? Well, the first thing that the church did, I think they had a focus on being a godly community. And there's so much here in Acts chapter 2. But this godly community is a force multiplier of people seeking Jesus together. And when it's described, there is spiritual action. They want to get together every day. It is not a hobby. The apostles are working. They are eating together. They're very active about listening to God's word and obeying it. Many people are new, so they have their action packed probably with questions. And the community is responding in this way. This, but, but they are very centered, very centered on seeking God. All of those things, if you add them up, you go, it's a God-seeking community. I don't know if you've been, ever been in a community like this. And sometimes we have these seasons. I was a singles pastor part of my responsibilities at one of the church uh, churches and we had a really special singles group we were all a bunch of 20 somethings back in the day where friends was big right and we all dressed that way right and we would have people show up to our singles group right there in the middle of the silicon valley and i just always thought it was interesting that they were many times not people of faith. And they would say so. And I'll never forget the conversation that I had with one man. And he goes, hey, just so you know, he's like, uh, I'm, not a, I'm not a Christian. I don't believe this. I'm like, okay, do tell. So why are you here? And he goes, well, and he started to describe, I've never been involved in a community like this. Maybe you've had that experience where the community is seeking God so much, even people that don't have a faith kind of go, I want to show up to be part of this because it feels like something healthy. It feels like something good. It feels like something I'm missing, right? This is what God calls us to, the, right? Van evangelism is great. Being thoughtful to our friends is fantastic. But there's something that happens when the Holy Spirit shows up in a community that people are drawn to it naturally. Okay? 
you know, um, it's kind of this principle of show, don't tell. When you're writing a book, they'll say, you know, show, don't tell. There's a, um, uh, there's a famous class that they used to teach on screenwriting in, um, in, in, down in Southern California. And it was this older gentleman, I won't go into the details, but one of the things he always used to, they used to say is he would say, have the hero rescue a cat from the tree. People would go, why? And you go, have the hero. Don't think, just have the hero rescue. Why? Because showing that tells everything about that person being a hero. And once in a while, you'll watch a film and it, it's almost a wink and nod where they're like, oh my gosh, they're rescuing the puppy. They're like, yep. It shows everything. This is who we are to be as a church. A godly community. Show, don't tell. And if you think about all the wonderful things in history, some of the best things that we've done um, in our society, many times they were actually um, created and sacrificed by people that we're following God. Orphanages. You know, we, we, Sunday school. What was Sunday school about? It, it was about teaching. Huh? Schools didn't exist. Many people in the inner cities would grow up without education. And Christians said, what if during our Sunday morning time we invited them in to teach them to read and write? And Jesus. <laughs> Hospitals. Uh, the ending of slavery, the abolition, slavery absolutely was the, uh, in the history of the world, every, every generation, every corner of the earth um, had, had slavery in one form or another. And it was Christians that started, were, were one of the main forces to end this. Almost every time the church the people of faith has been drawn by God. These have been the movements. Uh, the, the, uh, this has been what God has used to, some, uh, to bring uh, hope and life to people. Is Christians sacrificing in Christ, Christian communities. Right. Uh, there's a good chance um, many of our, the universities we went to, not all of them, but many universities were founded by Christians Right, our educational, um, how we look at education and how things were, all of those things, um, uh, so uh, uh, are are that godly Christian community responding to God, not doing things for a result, but doing things because this is what the Father's calling us to. Uh, it's no different for us in this time, and 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 the reason why that's important, I think, is this: is sometimes we can focus on what we believe as Christians especially when it comes to evangelism, I need to make sure that they have the correct information, rather than on who we believe. And the thing that we see here in, in the beginning of Acts is that, is that the early church was focused on who they believed in. Our, fo- our challenge as, as a church is to be this sort of godly, um, uh, this sort of godly community. When me and my friends started a church in Monterey in the mid-90s, 
And the first day, a gentleman showed up. His name is Bill. I can actually use his real name because I don't care if he's watching this. Um, and Bill, uh, Bill showed up, and I'm like, oh, what's your story? He goes, oh, I got your postcard. I always thought it'd be, I just wanted to see how a church started. I'm like, this is how it starts. You know, we just opened up the doors one day. Right? And I got to know Bill, and Bill had this fascinating story of how, uh, how he came to faith. He grew up in a nominal kind of Catholic Christian home, but Bill is an engineer, and he's an engineer, engineer, smart as they get, patents in his name, very accomplished, you know, highly, you know, educated, all the places. He says, but in high school, something happened. He had a friend. She was a strong believer. And they had this great relationship. And then one day, because he's, you know, very, you know, much, you know, very scientific, he kind of said, you know, I thought, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going I'm to gonna crack her world a little bit here. And he, she tells me the story. He says, so I looked at her and said, you know, you believe God can do anything? She said, yes. So you believe like... You know, just say that if I took this 26-sided dice, you know, alphabet dice, and rolled it, you could pray, and God would have that come up on whatever you wanted to. Now, I would have never said, well, no, you don't test God. God is, you know. And she said, yeah, I actually believe that could happen. And so Bill said, okay, I've got a dice. Let's do that. This young friend of his said, let me, let me go back and pray with my youth group. So she went back to her church. They prayed all week with the youth group. And the next week they showed up. And Bill says, I'm thinking the whole time. I'm like, I'm going to shatter her world a little bit here. Right? So Bill takes out the dice and hands it to her and, and says, well, we'll roll the dice. And she slides it back to him. And she says, you roll the dice. He goes, okay. And she, then Bill says, I asked her, pick a, pick a letter. And she goes, you pick a letter. So he says, I picked out something in the middle, like N or L, you know. And he goes, she goes, wait. She prays. She bows her head and prays and goes, go ahead and roll it. So he goes, okay, we'll do N. He rolls the dice and comes up on N. And he looks at her, and she is just beaming. And he can't believe her faith but of course, what's the first thing he says is, what are the odds, <laughs> right? And I go, well, it's 26 to 1, I think, is probably the odds, right? But it so affected him that he couldn't believe, not just that that happened, it wasn't the miracle of that happening, although it was really cool, that she had that much faith in her group that he couldn't let that go. When he went to college, he said, I chose to live in a Christian community because I felt that there was something that they had that I might have discounted and didn't have. He came to faith by living and being with other Christians. What happens when we as a Christian community um, take our faith this seriously. You see, what happens with the church, with this godly community, when church is a hobby, we pursue God when it works for us, right? I've got time. I'm a little busy. This is not the picture we have here. 
See, God is always calling us to more of him, and that always happens together. There is a force multiplier. This is the way God set up the church. The body, the gifts, right? The disciples. Disciples, I don't say they were a mess. They were a hodgepodge, right? This guy's far to the right. He's far to the left, right? People that should have not gotten along. Jesus' prayer for them, unity. And this is what happens in our, this is what happens with us with a godly community. We need each other to grow closer to the Father. I needed my friend Darren to show me what it was to care about other people. And when we do that, it, you know, all the boats get lifted. A godly community, this is what was happening in Acts, and people were being added to their numbers. The other thing I'd say, and there's a lot there in this passage, not only were they a godly community, they were a generous community. Jesus' words to his disciples, a new commandment I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Again, another picture of that of who we are is more important than just what just what we say our propositional beliefs are. Not because our beliefs aren't really important, but those lived out really make a difference in other people's lives. Right? So what did they do as a generous community? We see it. They sacrificed for one another. They sold property. We see this uh, in the beginning of Acts. They served widows. Nothing like the... They, they made sure that the least of these were taken care of. It was a community that made people go, huh? Now, there's a lot of background of early church documents that I'd love to take you through. We don't have time. But let me just say, Christians were known by their generosity and their love. Those uh, early Christians in the first century of the church. It's interesting how... how um, generosity and stories about generosity and how we deal with our resources, how those travel, right? They really do push us. It's like stories of great generosity or great greed tend to like hit everything else in the middle. You know, it's just, you know, you know most, most of us, our lives, no one, uh, no one um, um, really speaks of. But great generosity or great greed tend to be stories that we tell or other people tell about, about us, right? And really how we give of our lives, of our resources, is really one of the litmus tests of what we believe in. I, I'll tell you this, every nonprofit and church I've worked at, they will say, we believe in A and B and C. And I say, great, can I see your budget? Your budget tells me what you actually really believe in. And if you thought about that, what do you believe in? What if we, we, we did our own books? You're like, wow, you, you, know, you, you really believe in restaurants. I'm like, yes, I do, right? <laughs> but what, what would that look like? Now, I don't say that accusing anybody. Uh, I don't mean that, but I, I, I mean that for us. What, what we spend on usually does tell you probably more about our true values. And what we see the early church holding up as a model is this beautiful moment. 
is this unselfishness. It all belongs to God. We're going to give freely. We're going to give, uh, we're going to give and take care of people. And just like that simple experience I had in high school, people look around and went, okay, that's different. I, I, you, you don't, you don't see that. It really is the ultimate test. Giving God-sized gifts of your time and treasure really, really demonstrates, right, what we really believe about our faith. Jim Elliott, a missionary who gave his life, said it this way, He is no fool to give up what he cannot keep, to gain what he cannot lose. Jesus said it this way, Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What happens when individually we do this? It transforms our families. When we do this as a group, it transforms generations. It transforms our community. It transforms other people. You see, when church is a hobby, we give out of obligation or what's left over. But faith is built when God's people give of themselves sacrificially. Again, when the church has had legitimate power, the worst things have happened in the name of Jesus. Jesus had all power. He gave it all away. He came as a servant. Right? When we willingly line up with God and and give ourselves away. That's usually where God multiplies what he's doing. He calls us to give to things that just don't make sense. We have family members going, you're doing what? Yeah, I'm going to. Yeah, we're going to give our car away. Hey, could just, no, no, no. We got it. I know, it doesn't make any sense. It makes, it makes sense in God's economy. His, he generously loves us so much that we take that and we, we want to share it with other people knowing that God makes all the math work into the future. So not only were they a a godly community focused on God, they were a generous community. We see that caused them to be a growing community. They had favor with all men. People were open. In other words, because they were godly and because they were generous, they actually had a level of credibility that when people heard about them, when the community heard about them, they would say, tell me more. I don't feel like you have an agenda, right? The, the issue sometimes with the way that we've done sort of modern evangelism is that it can feel like we have an agenda in somebody's life, right? Not because it's bad, not because our motives are bad. But, you know, if we reduce Jesus down to a sales pitch or a slogan, or far be it from us, a political talking point, right? all of a sudden, Right? I'm not, like, I, I don't want to be conquered. I don't want my spirit to be conquered. One person years ago said this to me, and I still remember it. They go, I feel like you care about my soul, but not much else about me. And I'm like, Whew, I'm talking to them so much about what they believe. I'm not really focused about who they believe, what, who I believe in. And then I realized my mother who had become, uh, my personal story of my mother who became a Christian was so focused on who God was, not just what I should believe, that that all of a sudden started me, well, maybe prayer does work. Maybe this does work. 
Yeah, sometimes we can focus on what we believe. And so when it comes to, uh, but the, the freedom in that is that sometimes it is, right, what we believe in is exactly what people need. Coming out of the pandemic, um, not having a place of community. I think people in our neighborhoods are, somebody have, uh, you know, they want to be able to have reliability and trust. Right? My friend Derek Kuhn, uh, he loves the father so much. Him and his wife had a son, and Elliot was born with severe autism. In his first years, I mean, didn't talk, didn't communicate. Very difficult. I know many of us, not only within our own families or with friends, um, know probably families who have gone through this. And um, my next-door neighbor um, um, has has this their beautiful son is in the same place but Derek and his his wife started praying for their child and they started taking him to places of healing prayer they took him to his elders at, at the church and Elliot started getting better he started communicating um, over the years he actually got to the place where he could be mainstreamed in school he graduated high school he actually started going to college um, they, they wrote a book and have a, a ministry um, in inland China um, for, um, for families. God has just opened up this door for, uh, for Derek and his wife. Derek's a software developer, and one day he came in to uh, I meet with him regularly to pray, and he tells me, he goes, well, I was talking t- to one of my colleagues, and I found out, he shared with me, out of this discouragement, that he had a son who also was on, this, uh, on the spectrum and did not communicate. So Derek naturally shared his story. I said, look, we've prayed for our son. And then said, would you like to bring your son to our church and have our elders pray for your son? Would you ever walk up to any of your neighbors, knock on their door, and ask that question? Hey, by the way, how are you doing today? Hey, do you want to bring your children to our church and have, your, have our elders pray for us? So Derek at work does this, but of course, couched in this context. His work colleague, who's from a completely different faith, without hesitation says, yes, yes, I would love to. Right? I would try anything if this would help. If you, if it's work for you. Derek has this unbelievable, this new opportunity with this colleague. I think God calls us to, this is what God is calling us to. How do we have a community that, um, that loves God is so generous that people say, I want more. That God is constantly connecting us um, with this holistic evan- uh, uh, in this kind of holistic evangelism approach to people's really their felt needs in their heart to say is there a community that would really be this way and in the middle of thinking I, I, I was struck by this thought that I hadn't thought in decades because I was thinking back to that youth group that was so fundamental about seven or eight of us went into full-time ministry because God had met us so powerfully Many of us said, we want to do this for the rest of our life. Um, my youth pastor one time, he said, hey, we're going to do a night of prayer. And I'm like, we're going to pray like for an hour or two? 
He's like, even longer. We're like, okay, you know. Again, 17-year-old Eric wasn't very smart. So we went and we did it. It was really great. And we had two people come to faith that at the end of our time of prayer, prayed to receive Christ. And we would do these like every two or three months. And we started realizing that every time we had a night of prayer, that somebody would become a Christian. And so me and my friends looked at each other, and we go, this is really odd. And I remember asking some of the guys on my football team, fall of my senior year, I'm like, it's going to sound really weird, but um, we're doing a night of prayer. Would you want to (laughs) come? And it's like, no one's going to... Some of them came, and they came to faith that night. This is not the event that you would ever say, I got a great idea for people that don't believe in God. We'll just invite you, right? But when God is working in a community, people come there and God showed up and poured himself out in a way that was totally unexpected even to us. Um, As we end our time, let me ask you this. Um, What is... What is the story that is told about us as a church? What grade would we give the church? Anyway, I start thinking about that. I'm like, oh, probably not a good one. Because most evangelism is who is telling our story. When we're the ones telling our story, it's different. When other people are telling our story because God is working and there's these extraordinary things going, all of a sudden people are like, tell me again, what is that? We have this as a church. It's, it's, it's not with God. It's actually, like I've said, it's, it's an issue that we have. And I've never experienced it, but it's really fun. I will be at lunch with many of the people in this room, and we'll say, we need to go to here to lunch. It's amazing. And we get there, and they get there, and they go, oh, do you want another good place to eat is? And I'm like, we have a problem. Like, we're eating at a place, and we're talking about other places to eat at, right? Because the enjoyment of going out and eating is so rich. This is what happens with faith with people's lives. They hear the stories, and they go, tell me more about that. That's something I'm going through. We don't know what to do in our marriage. I don't know what to do with my child. I've been really down and depressed. Whatever it would be, I'm lonely. Do you have anything authentic that passes the smell test. Who's telling our story? Is our commitment to godliness a hobby or a passion? If it's a hobby, people aren't telling our story. If it's a passion, yeah, we, we things, everything starts to change. There's a force multiplier. Are we a generous community? Or do we invest with God like a hobby? My hope is that as we walk through this next season, that, uh, that God will speak to us and that individually many of you will step up. Many of us, whether it's within um, places of faith, within places of generosity, and create something 
wake something up in each other that we go, yes, us too. Thank you. We think this has to be a big thing. It's not. It's just individuals who step up. I tell my friend Darren, that that changed me. And I think if we all think back, there's people that really shifted us. In our church, this is what I think he's calling uh, CLC to. How do we become a godly, generous community that gives us a foothold into people's, into uh, friends, families' lives that we, uh, we might not, uh, we might not naturally have. We need each other. We're better together. Let me pray. Father, thank you for our time this morning. Thanks for this passage. Thanks for what you did in the early church. And can you, Holy Spirit, come pour yourself out that we could experience just a little bit of it for us, for our family, for our friends, for the people we work with and go to school with, that you would be working in such a way that it would create curiosity, not about us, but about you. May we be so focused on loving you that it actually starts to make a difference in our lives. Would you give us hearts that are so generous that it would feel different in a, um, it would stand out in our culture, generous with our time, generous with our words, with our time and talents and treasures, Father. But as a church, we, we just ask, Holy Spirit, come visit us so that church wouldn't be a hobby, but um, you would graciously add to our numbers um, because of, of who you are. Let people be drawn to you, Father. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.